From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 754, COVID Christmas with guest Mary Jo Foley. Recorded Monday, October 19th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. And happy Christmas to you and yours. Uh, today, my guest is a dear friend of mine who's never been on the show before, which is terribly embarrassing. Her name is Mary Jo Foley, and I've grabbed her bio off of Wikipedia, because you can do that when it's Mary Jo Foley. She is an American <laughs> freelance technology writer, author, podcaster, and news editor, and she regularly writes news, previews, and reviews for Microsoft strategy products and technologies. Uh, welcome, friend, and happy Christmas to you, too. Thanks, Richard. Nice to talk to you, as always. Always. And, I mean, we do more, far more personal conversations, although I do crash Windows Weekly once in a while and tease Leo. You do. And some of those episodes are among the epic episodes <laughs> in the history, including the, the whiskey episode. The Nestor- notorious whiskey episode. Yes. His crew <laughs> was quite cross with me. And I remember very clearly saying, this is not the whiskey you should open on the show, yep. which was the cask strength uh, Abelar. And, and you were the smart one because, of course... Uh, Paul took a sip and went, oh, this is my jam, and sank into the seat, because it's basically like drinking liquid caramel. Yeah. But you're, you're like, nope, not touching it. No, 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 no. I stuck with beer that episode, and <laughs> I, for once, I made a wise choice oh, around yes. alcohol. <laughs> very, very wise. I, I want to open our show with a comment from a listener. Not, I mean, normally it would be on a show you previously done, but you haven't. But this is actually from a couple of years ago in the fall of uh, 2018, when I talked to a fellow named Michael Bender about the IT community. So just this, I in the you know the conversation was broadly about the fact that IT folks tend to be more isolated. They tend to you know work on their own problems. Developers are very more community centric, meetups and things like that. But it's rarer in IT and. And Michael dug into that whole the difference in culture and so forth. And I got this great comment back when the show was published. So again, a couple of years old from Eric, who said, uh, I had to take some time out and comment on your excellent podcast about the IT community. You bring up some very good points. And it is very true that IT pros don't have much of a community as the software developer crowd has. Maybe it's because the isolation, fatigue and firefighting that you mentioned, but maybe it's because people don't realize what they can bring to the table. I've had the good fortune to get thrown into the deep end of a very complex project rewrite in Azure, middle least two years ago, Eric, so hopefully it's done now. Uh, this experience has convinced me that there's a level of knowledge needed to be mastered before the IT pro can truly understand how the developer side of the world thinks. There's a teacher somewhere inside me constantly looking for an outlet, and I've considered in some ways sharing some of the information on Azure fundamentals, specifically for IT pros focused on the fundamentals and basic skills, um, which is a great idea because you only get to be a beginner at something once. And so the way that you present as you learn is super powerful. It's kind of a unique uh, time and uh, useful for everyone. We're all starting out with new things periodically. Uh, and uh, he goes on to finish up. I'm convinced that this next transition phase we're going through as IT pros needs more focus on the community to help bring everyone along. Going from infrastructure minutiae to due to just works levels of abstractions that cloud and automation provide a huge leap. And I think 
we as technologists need to get over it. Almost everyone I've interacted with IT in IT for the past 20 years has not been classically trained through the computing science degree, including myself. But I think with cloud providers catering to developers first and IP pros second, there's a lot of work just to get over that first hump of thinking like a developer. And that's where having community can help. Yeah, I don't know that cloud was dev first. Both, both Amazon and Microsoft, the cloud was very much built with an IT pro mindset. They've gotten more Devi because that facilitates Greenfield, but lift and shift was an IT pro problem, and that's who has been doing it. Uh, but it does take a different style of thinking, and I think because in IT communities tend to be a bit more insular, um, it, it's been a, a surprise for folks. So, Eric, thank you so much for your comment. A Run As Radio mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a Run As Radio mug, Write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or on Facebook or LinkedIn. Every show is published there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, I'll send you a mug. What do you think, uh, Mary Jo? The whole balance here of building communities for IT is an interesting thought. And I think it's more relevant now than it has been in a long time. Totally. And I can tell you just as somebody who organizes community events at shows a lot, mm -hmm. I think I think there's a huge need for it. And I think it is not in the personality of a lot of IT people to want to mix and mingle, right? Yeah. And whenever you drag them out and, and they actually come to your meetup and drink some beer with you, it always ends up as a great time. But I, but just getting people to make the commitment and, and feel like they're part of something is challenging. Yeah. I, and I've certainly seen that in the Windows Weekly meetups at, at the tech ads and, and, you know, different shows over <laughs> the year. You and Paul kind of, you know, sort of in a, in a mob of folks who just want to chat a bit. Like you, you are their friendly <laughs> connection. To, uh, I'm laughing because I remember one meetup you came to that we did where Paul got like pushed into a corner and was like completely embedded in the corner. Yeah. And you were like getting drinks for him and just passing them over just to him because he couldn't actually get out. No, he couldn't move. <laughs> but, you know, I've been in his shoes and been in that situation before. And it's like all I really wanted was a drink. So it's like how do you serve your friend when he's right. doing something important without a doubt? Like a chance to exactly. interact with your with your listeners and your readers is important. Needs a drink, and uh, I have better taste in whiskey than he does anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I love doing those meetups, and that's one of the things I've missed the most during the pandemic oh, is having kidding? those kind of events yeah. where we can talk to people and mix with people and hang out with people. Because, you know, you can look at all the virtual events in the world and get the same coverage, basically, as you would being there. But the community element's the part you can't get. I'm just wondering now, I mean, we're recording this six, seven months into this. Uh, and it'll be longer before we ever get together again. I'm just wondering how uncomfortable people are going to be in a gathering like that ever, for years. I know. It's going to be retraining again, yeah. right? Like people who are starting to get comfortable with the idea that, oh, when we go to build or ignite, there's going to be a, a Windows Weekly meetup or this meetup or that meetup. And, you know, you're going to come out and you're going to be okay. And everybody's going to have fun talking. But once you haven't done that for yeah. months, you're out of the habit, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and, and yeah, small talk is a weird thing. I mean, there's always a formality to a Zoom call or any of these sorts of things that there's always some kind of agenda. And so the idea that you would make the kind of small talk that happens when you're just in a, in a bar with a group of folks, you know, are like-minded, but you've never met before. There's a skill that's going to decay. <laughs> Plus, you know, one of the things people always want to talk about is what's been going on with you lately? Yeah. Nothing. 
You know, <laughs> all the same things. All right. Well, I mean, I it's been a revelation. I'm sure not traveling has had an impact on you, in, in uh, hopefully in a positive way. It's certainly been that for me. Um, a mixed blessing, I'd say, for me mm. because. You know, in New York, a lot of us live in really small spaces. Yeah, like my, my apartment is 650 square feet. Um, so I've been like confined to 650 square feet pretty much for about six months. And it makes traveling look very glamorous <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, and, and when you were in the travel thing, lots of people are like, oh my goodness, you go to all these great places. And you're like, yeah, but you're also at work. Like the amount of, amount of time spent in a vehicle going to and from an airport in a metal tube in the sky in a hotel room. Uh, you know, but the joke I've been saying for years, I was saying I've been jet lagged since 2001. <laughs> it turned out it may not have been a joke. Yeah. Cause, cause after two months of being at home, which was the longest stretch I've been home in 20 years, my wow. sleep quality jumped up a measurable amount. Like the Fitbit numbers all went up and I'm like, really? and that's the thing where I looked at it and went, this is what I may have a problem giving up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I used to always kind of fantasize about wow, I really wish I didn't have to go here or there. Or wouldn't it be cool if I could be home for the holidays yeah. or like actually in my apartment? And now you're like, yeah, that's a little overrated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a lot. And again, it's certainly the what kind of living space you have, what kind of working space you have. This whole pandemic series, I get these stories of folks who are like, there's lots of people working from home and loving it, never were able to do it before. But there's some where it's like, I need to go to work. Like, that's how my mind works. That's how my space is set up. There was a fellow who sent me a message. He said, I have three roommates. I do not get to use the dining room table as, a, as an office. <laughs> like, it's just not a thing. I need my I need my office back. I know. I know. People with kids, especially young kids, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to juggle that right now, yeah. right? Like, I can just juggle myself and not have all these other complex familial interactions. Me and my cat, you know, we're, we're working it out. But it would be tough if I had a kid, a partner, you know, and roommate, and yeah. you're in 600 square feet. Right? No, no, it wouldn't, wouldn't be possible. The... Uh, and I think we shared pictures today on Twitter of your cat in her, in his bed and my dog in my bed. Like it is, it is, is I noticed the dog thought it weird that I wasn't leaving. Oh yeah. The cat at first, I, I could almost read his thoughts being like, are you going to go somewhere? Yeah. Like I want what? some me time. Yeah, here. Why are you still here? <laughs> like this is strange. <laughs> But I, but now I also feel like when I do go out, like if I have to go out and get something, mm -hmm. as soon as I come back in, he's like, oh, good, you're back. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, uh oh, I'm going to have to break him of that habit yeah. of me always being here, right? <laughs> kind of get, yeah, getting adapted. Well, Zach is elderly. He's about to turn 16. And so. Oh, is he really? I, he's I got, so cute. He looks good, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I got him, I got him groomed. So he, he's in good shape, but things are starting to break. He's, no. you know, he's an elderly man now. And I, in some respects, it's like, it's a blessing that I have been home for these, these harder months. I don't mm -hmm. know how much long, much more time we get with him, honestly, Aww. but Aww. It, it is what, it, you know, this is the price that you pay. And I'm, and I'm lucky that uh, here we are and getting to right. deal with that. But uh, he started having seizures this year. Oh and, no. And that's scary. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't seem to bother him all that much. It's way harder on me, <laughs> but it's, it, but it, you know. This is this is the price for a companion. I'm I'm afraid. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. Bringing Sirachi to the vet this year oh. during the pandemic was very interesting, right? Because you couldn't go into the right. vet with the pet, 
right? Mm-hmm. So in New York, there's there, you bring them to the vet and you're waiting out in the street with like 50 other people holding their pets and various carriers and such. And then they come out and they're like, okay, give them to us here. And then you just have to wait out in the street yeah, um, because there's nowhere to go, right? Yeah, yeah. So what are you going to do, right? <laughs> I know. And I was like, I was there on a really hot summer day. It Then it started raining and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like <laughs> now I don't know how long he's going to be in there. And then I have to take him in a cab, like getting a cat in a cab. It's not always the easiest thing. And No, no kidding. This is such a New York concept. Like I had to take Zach in, but I'm in the suburbs. I drove my car with my dog to the, right. the, the pet hospital. I called from the car. Then I go out and meet them, hand him over, get back in my car. And it's like, oh, it's going to be at least an hour. I'm going to go get a coffee and come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little different here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just the, the fully urban world. I mean, this is all part and parcel for for us as folks supporting people during the pandemic to just think through the different ways that their people are living and, uh, and, and the right. styles and all of that. It, because your work has not slowed down. I would argue you, like me, you probably got busier as the pandemic came in. Yeah. I, it, it didn't slow down at all. Um, it's been really, um, Luckily, I'm used to working at home because I've done it for more than a decade. Sure. So I had all my habits already established. But yeah, it di- like everybody's like, oh, things should be quiet now. I'm like, no, things aren't quiet. No. <laughs> you know, they're just as busy as ever. Right? Yeah. Listenership from the podcast jumped as the pandemic set in. I think everybody oh, ran wow. out of Netflix nice. content like in mm-hmm. a month. And, right. just, and you're like, I don't want to watch TV anymore. Yeah. I know. I'm like at the point I'm so sick of a TV anything. I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's screen burnout is real. Who knew? I know. You, know, you can only do this for so long, but uh, they, there's no lack of material or, or things to talk about, like the, the ability to just keep making shows and, and get support for them, too. It's been, it's been interesting, compelling. Nice. Yeah, and I, I think there's this interest, you know, I'm looking at the story arc of the pandemic series and realizing, you know, we've gone through stages here. Like, uh, I was reminded that at the beginning of World War I, the UK's like story that started in, in July was that the boys would be home by Christmas. Hmm. Like it's, they literally played that same six months. Don't worry. We're going over there. We're going to push the Germans back and then we'll be home by Christmas. They were off by four years, but you know, <laughs> close. Give or take. Hopefully yeah. we're not off by four oh, years. Goodness. And- I, I don't yeah. <laughs> think so. I mean, it's still going to be the fastest vaccine ever made by him, by, by man. Like it, it's still a very profound thing we're pulling off, but. Yeah, I think Christmas 2021 is the one that's going to be a little more open. What do you normally do for Christmas? So normally I go up to New England and hang out with my family. So my mom's there, my brother, my sister, my nieces, right? And so this is going to be the first year in the 20 years I've lived in New York City that I'm going to be home at Christmas. Wow. Yeah, just to stay because there's really no other option. No, there's really – I don't feel safe going up to New England because right. normally I take the train. Of course. Right. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know people are taking the train and everything, but like with the cases starting to spike again, and I'm like, you know, my mom's elderly and one of my sisters isn't in the best health. And I'm like, you know, I just Not worth the I risk. don't yeah. want to mix in there. Plus, I'm coming from New York and who knows what I'm exposed to, right? <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah. And it's, you don't want to live with the potential consequences like that's right. just a lot of weight on your own heart to to take exactly. on like it's better to it's tough to give up a christmas but it's not it's not the end of anything really there will be more it's not 
I'm going to make the best of it. You sure. know, like I, uh, it's another one of those things I used to say, you know, it'd be fun to be in New York at Christmas time sometime. Yeah. Cause the city's so awesome. And I think a lot of things will still continue here. Like stores are going to decorate windows mm-hmm. and people will be out. You know, it's just, it's going to be different, but I, I'm going to try to just put, put the right thinking cap on and, and approach it with the right mindset. Yeah. That's, that's smart. And Mary Jo, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Two Weeks Ready helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HDBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HDBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio Christmas Edition. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Mary Jo Foley. Uh, and just sort of exploring this interesting time, uh, certainly in our in our history. You know, it's been a long time since there was a pandemic of this scale. Uh, I think the scariest period of this so far, obviously, you know, don't jinx anything, was those first couple of months when when the tech companies all sent everyone home, and uh, and I really did thought of, think, was thinking hard and hearing stories internally. I don't know what you ever heard about. Is the internet going to hold together? And are the cloud yeah. providers going to keep running? Like there was uh-huh. clearly a sense that they were create. They were getting stuff turned off that didn't need to be turned on to create room for everyone to keep functioning. Like goodness knows what would have happened in the pandemic if that stuff had tipped over. I know. I was thinking that same thing. Like, mm-hmm. as Microsoft, you know, right, even before the pandemic, they were having some Azure capacity yeah. issues, right? And I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be really bad, right? Like, Teams is hosted on Azure. How is right. this going to go, right? <laughs> well, and, and, and everything, you know, even if it's not, like, even if it's not visible as to what cloud provider is supporting a given product. Like, I'm sure Zoom's running on somebody's cloud. Yep. Like, we're all dependent on this public infrastructure. And, and this has been its first real trial, I think. A very profound trial, actually. Definitely. And yeah, and it, it held up better than you know, like we all were like reporting things, small things. Like, yeah. you know, Microsoft has to turn off this team service in order to keep things, you know, running at capacity for all the other services. Yeah. And you know, at first I'm like, okay, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's gonna get way worse. Well, but it didn't the, get the, worse. The EU <laughs> asked Netflix to turn off four K service. Yeah. Right. And it's and I've yep. uh, how you do the math on that is like they're saving the internet there. Like that's what they're talking about. Right. Just cutting those edges. Like what's the thing you with the small things you could do that would make the most impact on bandwidth. Uh, Cause you couldn't speed up the cloud hardware pipeline. Like it's just going as fast as it was going to go. You just, I bet I've heard they just haven't turned off any old gear. Like they've just kept the old gear. He's like, well, I'll leave that stuff running for another year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, well, just, Microsoft even said during one of their earnings calls right at the start of the pandemic, they're like, so we're also in the midst of a, a capacity problem for Azure data centers. Like we can't get all the all the parts we need to build more servers to put in the racks. And I'm like, wow. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to go so badly. But yeah. it didn't. It's, it's like somehow they went in there and they said, we've got people working 24 hours a day installing the new hardware where we do have, um, you know, six feet apart, but 
or they're in the data centers installing hardware. We're adding more capacity to our transatlantic cable. We're turning off these services. We're adding um, new clusters and reconfiguring how all our services work in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And they did it. Yeah, they got through it. I mean, I, I would I think know. we're in better shape now than we were then. They, they said that. They're like, now that we've done this, we've learned so many things that we can apply in the future where we thought we had to add more buildings or more this or more that. Now we can just see that, no, actually, we can just be smarter about how and where we run our services. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, you know, it is this forcing function. We, we were already as a society sort of concerned with the weight that these handful of tech companies had overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now they've kind of saved civilization. Like now, I, I'm just thinking in the next year or two, because there's a case to be made for more regulation, new rules, like that kind of thing. Scrutiny, I think, is appropriate. I just wonder how much that dynamics changed because of the importance of what's just taken place this past year. Hmm. I think it all depends, at least in this country, in the U.S., about who our next leader is yeah. and what what regime is in power. because. <laughs> Uh, different regimes have different feelings about the big tech companies. True enough. And we are recording this before the election, for better or worse. Right. So we don't <laughs> know. We're not being coy. Uh, but, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But in general, there is, you know, the way I've been describing to folks who have been talking about specifically about social media is like, listen, first came the automobile, then came the driver's license. It's only when it got to critical mass that there was enough cars, that there was enough incidences that we said, hey, maybe some rules would be a good idea. And these past few years with the effects of uh, of the amount of data being collected on people by the social media companies and, and the tech companies in general, there, there should be rules. I, I really don't have a problem with the GDPR. I think the EU wrote a pretty good doc. I don't know what enforcement ultimately looks like. But those basic principles of people have a right to know what data is being gathered by them and who's got it and also have a right to say, get rid of it, they seem to make a lot of sense. That seems like a new Bill of Rights kind of thing. Yeah, agree. Uh, I think the thing in this country that needs to be kind of overhauled or updated are the antitrust rules, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't apply to things like APIs, right? (laughs) Like, Like watching companies and lawyers try to actually use like standard oil to explain something about an API. I'm like, um, I don't really think it works. Yeah. Well, (laughs) because didn't they basically (laughs) distill antitrust down to, is this harming the consumer and harm being raising prices and, and or the competition, right? right? Like there's like, depending if you're in Europe or here, the antitrust rules are about, consumers or the competition right right? (laughs) so yeah i I just feel like those rules are there but they need updating and the social media rules just need writing in the first place yeah well it's 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 for better or worse it's what regulation is for right we need a rule set all around and i think it's still going to be coming but it's, it's interesting to see i think the pandemic has certainly added a tone in the Definitely sense has. of th- <laughs> that these are not things you casually smash up because they also keep the big chunks of the planet functioning. So, right. you know, treat with some care and make sure we, we protect the value while mitigating or minimizing harm. Yeah. And also deciding on 
who decides on what is the truth, quote unquote, right? <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting problem. And, you know, it frustrates me because it felt like, like Facebook was well positioned to do this. It makes a lot of sense yeah. that that news feed would include clear qualifiers for the quality data, source of data, like all those sorts of things. Like they could have been the place you went. Yeah. And they and it seems like they went the other way. I think they've just they either they can't or won't be the ones to make the decision, or yeah. maybe a combination. Yeah, of and I have a tough <laughs> time with the can't. Right? Maybe I'm yeah. just a, a technology optimist, but I know that I've gotten very diligent of before reading something. You know, building a nutritional label for it. where did it right. come from? You know, what are the authors? What are the sources? Like. You know, it's, it seems silly to me to eat something and say, hey, was that good for me? Right. right? It's a little late <laughs> at that point. So, the uh, you know, being much – because once you have an idea stuck in your head, even if you reject it, it still modifies you. That's true. So, you know – I getting, feel like uh, as somebody who is a trained journalist and has spent my entire career as a journalist, mm -hmm. I always think about sourcing, right? Yeah. Like, I, like, whenever I read something, I'm like, okay, where – I can read a story and be like, okay, where, like the anonymous sources, who are they likely actually, who are they, right? right. Who are they? And I can t place an educated guess, I feel like, but I feel like many regular consumers don't even understand that concept. Yeah. Right? And I wonder if this and, is now core skills. This is what should yeah. be taught in school. Right. Right. No, they just kind of treat all sources as equal. Yeah. And I, I, I have a neighbor in my building here who, really smart people, right? And they actually asked me, is Bill Gates doing blah, 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 you know, <laughs> a nefarious plot around the vaccine? And I'm like, are you asking me this as a joke? Or are you asking me this as a serious question? And the person said, a serious question. And I'm like, okay, so I'm surprised this is actually up for debate. Right. Right? <laughs> but this is even a question. It's like, you know, he could... Just take a vacation like a lot of other billionaires have. Go hunker down in your bunker and, right. and forget about the world, right? Be safe from it. Why is he choosing to, to help? I know. You Putting know? himself out there still every day when he doesn't obviously do it for the money, yeah. right? <laughs> it's a, the, yeah, they, that's the one that always finds it fascinating when folks are like, well, for the money. It's like, do you think he needs more money? I know, right? Do <laughs> <laughs> like, think that's a motivator? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. So that that whole can of worms, I'm like, yeah. And just when you see, you know, Twitter and other channels trying to make decisions about what to censor, what not to censor, right. and how people react to that, too. It's like, yeah, so what do we do with that, right? Like, do we just let everybody say whatever they want and treat it as equal value? Yeah. Well, and it's clearly, you know, obviously, that's clearly not true, right? The Right. The, the, the whole climate, I think John Oliver did great treatment on the climate change thing. He goes, Wait a second. It's like 2% of scientists are, are against climate change. So if we're really going to do this, we need 98, you know, pro. Yeah. And they actually had like a 98 people show up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> let's get some proportionality here. Like yeah. not, yeah. Uh, not all stories have the same weight. And that there is objective truth. I mean, that's the biggest challenge. The, the fact that, again, I think for most folks, the idea that you would challenge the idea there is an objective truth is bizarre. It is. But, you know, as a journalist, again, the way you're taught journalism, or at least the way you used to be taught, mm -hmm. was you have to give equal time to both sides. And that doesn't make sense when one of the sides is completely... Fiction. Like, yeah. wrong, <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, and the idea that there's two sides to any given story, like, there's usually many. Yes. 
You know, in some ways you're already editorializing when you pick two of them. I know. Everything's not a black and white decision, right? Like people want it to be, but it's not. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge that we're dealing with as a civilization right now is that we are at a state of complexity sufficient that we're over distilling, that we want to be over distilled uh, to, 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 to simple choices. Uh, and they, and and turns out none of them are good then, right? Like right. You, they, it's actually the world is a complicated place and there's lots of complexity to for it to lie. You can't pick one cloud provider. You can't pick one party. Like it's never that simple. It's there's more to it than that. That's I, I like your cloud provider example because I see so many people saying, well, you know, Zoom is on Google Cloud right. or so and so is on AWS. I'm like, so you know, none of them are on one. Yeah. Right. They're well, all on all of them or at least two. Yeah. Right. So to say they are the customer of so and so, that's a very misleading, simple, simple to say, yeah. but very misleading way to say it. And, and, and just insufficient. It's more complicated than that. It is. Right. And, and every system is hybrid too. They also have some of their own infrastructure that they're doing certain things with. Like, right. it's just never simple. And so to this, to over distill down to these binary choices is to make mistakes because you're blinding yourself to the, the real value of those complexities. Uh, and it's certainly for technology as a whole. It's like if the, if the choices were that simple, we'd already be doing them when we aren't. Exactly. We're, we're doing more difficult things. <laughs> I, I always say that to my stepdaughter whenever she's like, this seems like a really easy way to do this. So I'm like, if it was, everybody would everybody be doing, doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Just let's presume some some ontological humility here that, that we are not the only ones with good ideas, that the other people have addressed this problem before. Then, and the fact that it wasn't a clear choice, an obvious choice, just means there's more to this. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely challenging. So, Richard, what are you going to do on the holiday? What do you usually do, and what are you going to do this so year? This year is the year uh, I'm an empty nester. So, oh, just the, all in 2020. Can you believe that? That wow. both, both girls wow. moved out, and so it is an interesting dynamic in that respect. I mean, we've already been through Thanksgiving on the Canadian side, and that right. ended up being. Um, small, you know, immediate family inside the bubble. We had one other one out on the deck because it was still warm enough, sort of more spread out with uh, more extended family, but never big groups. Uh, Christmas is pretty laid back now. We, we're pre-grandkids, but post, you know, everyone in the house. So I think right. it will be the same sort of thing. It will be small gatherings. Uh, and uh, we've built out the, you know, I have the big outdoor kitchen, so great, we've, we've added extra walls and heating to that so that we can That's sit cool. outside with some airflow and have a few nice. folks over. Uh, so it, it's actually the most common thing going on in my neighborhood is people covering up their decks, like building up a roof over it or putting an awning on or something because we want to be able to do a little bit. Of it. And I mean, I'm very fortunate that I'm in a neighborhood where we all actually celebrate together on a regular basis. So the expectation is we will have a Christmas party, but it will be on our own driveways. That's cool though. It's been a thing most Thursdays since the pandemic really kicked off to go out and have a glass of wine with my neighbors on our drive, our respective driveways sort of yell at at each other or stand at a distance and uh, let the dogs run around, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's nice. Nice to have a little tradition. And, and, And just very, very fortunate. I mean, so fortunate to to live where we live, to have careers that we have that that are. I'm not saying insulated from this, but that are relevant and in demand through all of right. this. 
Right. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of gratitude. And, and I'm reminding myself on a regular basis to thank my, to thank my neighbors as much as thank my family too, that we've all been able to do as much as we've have been. I know. I feel like if I didn't have a couple neighbors in my building, we have, we have a shared roof deck on our building and yeah. we, we would go up there like every few days in the summer and socially distance and have a beer, you know? And I'm like, if you guys weren't here, I would probably be jumping off the roof yeah, deck yeah. right it's, now. You know? it, it, <laughs> isn't it interesting that we, because we have to put an effort into the discrete moments of socialization, we just remind ourselves of how valuable they are. It's true. Like people you never would normally think to have to like verbally thank. Yeah. I just, I say to them all the time, I'm like, I'm so happy you guys live here. I'm really happy that I know you, you know, and in normal life, that would be like, oh, you're being so mushy. But now it just feels like, no, yeah. I'm just saying that the reality, which is you're saving my sanity, basically. Yeah. I hope this is the piece that we carry out of this time is more gratitude towards the yeah. civilization that I we've agree. made. It's easy to take these things for granted. And now that they've all been challenged, we can't. And that's good, right? Well, we'll value them more. Uh, MJ, not the most technical show we've ever done <laughs> or talked about, <laughs> but I'm grateful to you too to to come on and, and chat a bit and to uh, to spend this Christmas time uh, with you, however time shifted it may be. No, that's great. I I'm really happy. I finally made it onto Runners <laughs> Radio. You are always <laughs> welcome, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, you know what? I feel like it's it's a show that I don't really quote fit into, but yeah, you have such a wide charter with it. You can do it. You can make it be whatever you want. Yeah, right? and certainly so. the pandemic series has done that for me. We, I mean, we did a show on compassion, which I wow. took a little flack for, but I also got a lot of thanks for too. Like. Nice. Just because I'm really thinking in terms of the impact that the pandemic's had on on the listener, on all the, uh, the the change in our own work. I think that the demand for leadership inside of organizations from IT has put a lot of pressure on folks, whether they articulate that or not. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. I, I feel like people in IT... Not, I'm not going to say everyone because that would be a gross mis generalization, but mm. a lot of them are, have very rote jobs where they like it. They like the predictability yeah. and this has been anything but predictable, but it's, it's shown that IT people are really actually very resilient and flexible True. more, more than they may even know themselves. Yeah. Well, IT also likes a crisis too. Like we're kind of good right. at, and this has just been a crisis. Uh, I, in some ways, it's like you also need to sit back and think a little about how things have changed. But fighting fires is one of the reasons we got into this business. And wow, what a fire. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, MJ, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Richard. Same to you. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm -hmm.